the rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It's Mexi, and today on the show we have fantastic guests who I want to say are really, really long-time friends because I feel like mm. I've been listening to their podcast for so long that it feels like we've been really close friends for quite a long time. <laughs> but um, we have recently, recently, uh, you know, blossomed our friendship. Um, it is the amazing and always insightful Callie and Nicole from the Bitchy Shit Show, formerly Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack. And we're just super excited to have them on the show. So welcome, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> finally. <laughs> That's all I've ever wanted someone to say. Yes. Yes. Uh, we're so fucking excited to be here. Thank you for having us on. And yeah, we definitely feel the same way about this uh, longtime friendship that we've had as like <laughs> kind of distant creators. So we're, we're excited yeah. that that has turned into more recently. Absolutely. Yeah, Mexi, we just learned your last name. So now it's official. It's yeah. so funny how you can be really close to people on the internet and not even know their mm -hmm. real name, not to mention their yeah. last name. Yes. <laughs> there so are so like... many people that I just refer to as, you know, a, a completely random screen name. I don't know their first <laughs> name, and I probably never will, but we're very close. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. oh, yeah. The weird life of <laughs> media people. <laughs> weird weird life of media people um anyway so we've actually started this conversation over on the bitchy shit show kind of like the horror vanguard collab that we did uh we we're doing w the first part of the show over on bitchy shit show so this is the second part of the show and so you will definitely want to check out the first part first so i will put the link in the show notes uh so everyone can go listen to part one uh and in part one we talked a lot about about kind of uh, ripping the mask off our toxic work culture um, and you know productivity and things like that with the whole COVID situation. And in this episode, we're going to take a look at what this you know pandemic situation could mean for leftism and honestly advancing leftist causes. Um, we're going to start with uh, the pitfalls, though. You know what what could be the challenges that we face. Um, what are the dangers inherent in this moment and how the government could respond to it, um, which is something that the Bitchy Shit Show, Nicole and Callie, have been talking about over on their channel, um, which has been really great. Um, but first, to get started... Well, first, actually, I should shout out the, the new patron for this, this month. Um, thank you so much to Steve... Stankowitz and uh, I owe you some stickers. <laughs> I've been self-quarantining, so I've not actually gone out to mail the stickers, but uh, I will be doing that shortly. And if you want to support the show, you can become a monthly patron at patreon.com slash veganvanguard or give us a one-time donation on our website, veganvanguardpodcast.com. Um, or you can please just give us a rating. Give us, if you really like the show, a five-star rating on iTunes really goes a long way. Um, or 
or a review, something like that, that can really help us out. Um, and if you're interested in the stickers, we have two really awesome stickers that were designed by Menika Repka, who's an amazing activist. Um, one of them says, animals are our comrades. And one of them says, animals want capitalism to end. <laughs> and they're Aww. both really great. So check those yes. out on our Patreon. <laughs> we love Menika. Um, She's wonderful. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. She's so great. Um, so we're also going to start the show with hopeful headlines for the future Yay. related to the COVID pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know Callie's come up with a few and I also have a few. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna lay them on one another right now. So Callie, <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? So true to form, my headlines are probably too long. <laughs> actual headlines but you know uh that's hashtag on brand Mm -hmm. so the first one is workers seize grocery stores and create mutual aid communities to distribute resources according to need during pandemic realize they don't need bosses or corporate oversight to live (laughs) that's so awesome (laughs) i actually love I love how long that is because I'm picturing that being like a full headline and then me screenshotting that and tweeting that out and being like, guys, <laughs> it's happened. Comrades, we've won. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, we should start a newspaper or something that's like nuanced news and all of our headlines have to be a minimum of like 500 words. <laughs> Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So yes, like yes. if you only read the headline, you still actually understand what it's talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all you need. That's brilliant. Maybe that's how we start reaching people cuz we know no one reads past headlines anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, we're on to something. I think I, so. I think so. I think so. Um and my next one is Biotech firm that developed COVID-19 vaccine loses its appeal against scientists that released the formula for free. Court argues argues new health care as a right amendment trumps corporate profits. Nice. Oh, my goodness. I really dreamed big for these. (laughs) You did. Honestly, those are so good. Those are way better than mine. Okay, I have two here. So, okay, first one. To no one's dismay, cruise ship industry takes its last breath. Coral reefs rebound. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And the second one is the day that shook capital to its core. Looking back on the global general strike and the pandemic that brought the workers of the world together. Oh. <laughs> Love it. Love them. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, so I think that that kind of sets a good tone for the rest of the <laughs> the episode. I think um, so. So this is, yeah, this is kind of what we're thinking about. You know, this moment is um, terrible, and you know, we really don't want to make light of the situation, considering um, you know this is really serious. I think that we were talking a bit before about how a lot of people aren't taking it as seriously as they should be. Um, you know, this is going to be something that we're dealing with for probably the next 18 months. Um, 
the you know the death toll is already very high compared to other pandemics that we're dealing with and you know the response that a lot of countries maybe the u.s (laughs) um is providing is certainly not adequate um to deal with this um so you know we don't want to make light of this at all this is a really serious pandemic and and a really tragic time that we're all living through and dealing with um but we think that it is a moment that does lay bare a lot of the the contradictions of capitalism, a lot of the contradictions involved in our work culture and just the way that we're we're operating, basically. Um, a lot of the contradictions with kind of the neoliberal austerity model that guts healthcare um, and guts things like, you know, didn't, didn't Trump just gut the pandemic department <laughs> or whatever, mm-hmm. yep. you know? Um, right. So all of these contradictions are really being laid bare. People are um, understanding uh, how precarious their situation is with respect to capital. Um, so there could be a lot of opportunities here for leftism and leftist movements and advancing kind of, a, you know, a broader post-capitalist or socialist goal. Um but first, uh, you know, Callie and Nicole, you've both talked about, I guess, kind of the danger that we're in right now in terms of where this could lead with respect to government, uh, a government response that is more authoritarian or kind of leans more towards the security state. So I guess um, wondering if you want to start by by laying out some of the challenges or, you know, some of the things we have to keep in mind and be vigilant of to to try to ensure don't happen, I guess, um, in the response to this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to add in to what you were saying that, you know, I think for some people when tragedy happens like this, they think it's vulgar or inappropriate to kind of take a critical eye or dream or deconstruct, right? But I would say that it's actually... Uh, irresponsible to not do it, especially right Mm -hmm. now around capitalism, because as you were saying, you know, everything we're experiencing right now is a result of the failings of capitalism. And if we Mm -hmm. don't take this time to push, right, to change the system, and also just to be aware and educate other people, um, for me, when we get to the potential side, for me, the biggest potential I see for myself in the work that I do is that there's a so much more receptive, broad audience right now to be Mm -hmm. able to hear and understand socialist principles. Um, So I just want to put that out there that, you know, don't be intimidated or afraid or if you're having thoughts or you want to have conversations, this is the time to have them. It's not inappropriate. Mm -hmm. It's actually the most appropriate time. And it's a result of us not being able to have these conversations or not having them earlier and you know getting anywhere with them i i just love that you brought that up and i just want to reiterate that like we've we've seen what happens when we allow them to tell us that it's like not an appropriate time to discuss politics it's like Mm -hmm. it never gets done it's an unfortunate side effect of this media culture that we have that everything moves so quickly and people's attention spans are like as short of as a gnat that like if you don't catch them in the moment it's like they've moved on if you don't 
talk about it now, it like won't happen. You know, there's this Mm -hmm. promised day of like, oh, don't worry after the crisis. And it's like it it won't happen. It's a lie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like capture their attention while they're feeling the urgency in the moment. So I yeah. just, I hate that that's still a, like every time there's some shooting in the U.S. They're like, now is not the time to be political. It's like people are dead. Now is exactly right. the time that we should be like calling right. for change. <laughs> right. It's just a way to shut down conversation. It's like, you know, um, Colin Kaepernick and it's just like no this is an inappropriate time for you to be doing your or this is an inappropriate way for you to be protesting right it's always an inappropriate way to be protesting yeah well and that's the real truth it's never appropriate in their minds to you know protest the Mm -hmm. the lunch counter sit-ins were considered inappropriate Rosa Parks on the bus was considered inappropriate it's like there's never been an appropriate time to demand our rights. You just have mm-hmm. to fucking do it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and likewise, to get back to our little agenda, um, it's also the perfect time to talk about, you know, the 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 very real danger that we're in from how our government could handle or mishandle this situation, but uh, even more so the ways in which they could capitalize on this um, (laughs) to sneak in, you know, stricter um, sneak in things like military response to civil disobedience or Mm -hmm. uh, stricter regulations or for us to lose our rights to privacy and things like that. So I think, you know, exactly Mm -hmm. now is the time to be having these conversations. So uh, one of the things Callie and I have covered on the show that's very concerning, and I think Callie's maybe a a little more educated on it than I am, so I'll let her take this over. But um, one of our top concerns right now is the security state is increased. And, you know, at this point, we're not able to organize in person. I think there's a huge opportunity for organizing online. And I've been really trying to research and find, like, what people are doing right now that's successful. Uh, For instance, I can send you the link to it, but there's a 26-year-old truck driver who's now running for Congress, who's a socialist, and he got a petition going for rent strike in, um, well, he got a petition going for them to suspend collecting rent and mortgages for two months until this, at least two months until this is over. Um, And it was such a wild success that he ended up creating a petition for every single state. And he said that not only are they using this now to try to put pressure for the suspension, but they're also going to use this list to uh, continue organizational efforts. So everyone who signs the petition, you know, you're aware of it when you sign it, but they're keeping your email and your phone numbers so that we can continue to organize even after this, you know, phase is over. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so I think, you know, that's a huge opportunity, but the 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 weakness there, the scary thing is that, you know, given that in the US at least we're in a state of emergency right now, the president has the power to just shut off the internet. So, damn. Yeah, it's very very terrifying to me that our only avenue I shouldn't say only there are some ways to get around it. Like um, Joshua Collins is his name. He was saying that they organized like safe distribution of materials. So they would organize people to like in micro amounts, go hand out flyers. 
Um, so for instance, say you live in a complex, like you would go and just put flyers on people's doors and, and not interact with anyone or talk to them, but, mm-hmm. you know, find a way to like distribute those materials in the building that you're already in. So you're not necessarily going out and getting exposed. So there, there are some options like that and, and we may have to lean on those more and more, but yeah, just given that our, our one source right now of information and connection could just be shut off at, you know, someone at president Trump's whim is, is terrifying. That is really horrifying. Yeah. That's something we really, really need to think about because, you know, if, it's true that this is an opportunity for leftist organizing and solidarity and things like that, you know, um, like what you just mentioned, having that infrastructure built and having all those people who signed that petition being um, kind of looped in to potential future um, actions. um, You know, if we actually started to build power that way and start to, you know, ramp things up, then yeah, he could clearly just shut that off on us. So I think that's something we have to really pay attention to and think about, um, you know, it's great to build this infrastructure this way, but then there's got to be something like there's got to be an additional layer where um, we're connected outside of just outside of the internet. And that's difficult. I don't even know how to begin something like that. But that's really something we need to be conscious of. It is really difficult because, you know, I think for that to work and and I don't have any background in organizing. So this is just me trying to learn and pick up on things. But I think what you have to do is organize very, very locally. And again, you know, we're we're hampered right now because we can't like if we don't already know people and just culture nowadays is that most people don't know their neighbors right most people aren't very involved in their communities so it's difficult to now try to establish those connections at a time when we you know need to be organizing and defending ourselves um not impossible but you know certainly would already be challenging and then given that we're on lockdown essentially uh just makes it even more so yeah exactly and a lot of places are on lockdown with you know the police actually enforcing that right Mm -hmm. so it's that makes it extremely difficult you can't be outside of your house um i think marine is going through this right now in Mm -hmm. france right you have if you leave your house you have to have a piece of paper with your address on it you can only be so far from your house there's so many rules about what you can do and you'll either get fined heavily or you can get up to six months in jail um so yeah i mean these are really serious threats to our ability to organize right now and i mean luckily right now we still do have the internet but does anyone i not to get my conspiracy brain on but uh you know twitter lately um you know all of my trending topics used to be politics used to be stuff that was relevant right Uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of it was about bernie and and that kind of stuff um and then about covid and then i noticed about you know four or five days ago it was actually around the time of like the i believe tara hashtag um and biden right all of a sudden all of my trending topics are ridiculous it's only showing me stuff in canada it's showing me you know these things that you click on them um they're super reactionary and then you click on them and then you realize that half the people who are commenting are saying like what is this hashtag why is this trending (laughs) 
and you know it's like all these bots that are doing it and i'm like what is we're being compromised right now but anyway that's just uh that's just an aside Um, i totally i i don't know i think so i i had the same experience (laughs) i looked at twitter yesterday a couple times and i was like what the fuck like the top uh trending thing was something about like Billie Eilish's canceled party and I was like yeah. we're in a fucking global crisis right. yeah. I do not believe that this is the most important like trending topic and then the other right. ones were like the sponsored trending things where you can tell mm-hmm. it's like you know some new show was debuting and so the network mm-hmm. is like paying and I'm like this is seems yeah. like some bullshit like okay yeah <laughs> mine were like uh you know morning tips or like thursday Ugh. news or something yeah. and i'm like no that's not a trending topic right um one of them was like seductive sunday or something like just these really weird really weird things and i'm like where did all my politics trends go right. first of all where's all my news <laughs> just yeah. like anyway yeah that's no i sh- noticed that as decide. well and I definitely always have conspiracy brain around stuff. <laughs> yeah. I was even telling Callie, I'm like, I feel like my, t- I feel like social media in general is like, I feel like I'm not getting as much interaction on the stuff that I'm putting out. And I'm like, everyone's locked indoors right now. Everyone's online. I just feel like everything should be more active. And it feels like, I don't know. I don't know if there's some kind of filtering happening, but I followed a lot of people who are talking about their tweets being blocked, articles they've linked to being pulled down, hashtags yep. not populating. Like when you start typing, it'll be a hashtag that's like trending heavily, but it won't pop up when you start typing it to like include it in yep. your tweet. Um, hashtags yep. like disappearing. And yeah, I've noticed my trending list too is always like all politics and it's mm-hmm. been absolutely ridiculous shenanigans lately and i'm like hmm? mm-hmm. i see you twitter yeah. i see what you're doing yeah i well, see you Facebook, for sure once the u.s finally like what two weeks ago now it feels like a month ago and it actually is not that long things have just been moving so quickly but when people in the u.s finally started i think realize how big covid19 was uh, before mm-hmm. any place actually started doing like mandatory quarantines and like the stay-at-home orders um I had a lot of friends and stuff saying that anything they were posting was being like taken down mm-hmm. and they were like, I, I'm literally posting like five or six things a day and it is not showing up or the links are disappearing. Mm-hmm. Like what is mm-hmm. happening? And then the yeah. same thing with the, the, I believe Tara, like that had like 40,000 tweets or something the other day and it wasn't even on the trending list. Like how does that mm-hmm. make any fucking sense? So mm-hmm. they're, there literally is like shenanigans happening with things being trending. It's not just like, oh, this seems weird. It's like people are literally pointing out that like, oh, this makes no sense. Like there is filtering going on. Yeah, one of my friends was posting on Facebook about um, the Cuban response to the crisis and how mm. Cuba is sending doctors everywhere and blah, blah, blah. Um, and Facebook removed that and said it violated their terms of service. And then they appealed it. And eventually they said, OK, sure, we can reinstate it. But I mean, this is what happens when you have like the Atlantic Council and the Weekly Standard and stuff as fact checkers for fake news on mm-hmm. Facebook. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually I heard on Media Roots that uh, 
um, the government, the U.S. government is now working very closely with Google um, with with this whole pandemic stuff in order to, I guess, disseminate information um, to use tracking information to figure out whether social distancing is working or not. Um, and they also wanted to have like Silicon Valley come up with this like big app or whatever to basically track COVID and I guess also use uh, our phones like tracking data to see, um, you know, what social distancing is doing, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that we're actually, I mean, and this is partly our fault too, I think, <laughs> because like we've gotten, we, we're so accepting of like Silicon Valley, right? And like, we've kind of just accepted that these are the tools that we're going to use to get all our messages out. But and we're all cynical about it. We all know that they're, you know, um, throttling our t- our tweets. We all know that certain hashtags we put out are going to get zero views and interaction, even though they're really important, right? We know what's happening, but we're kind of just doing it anyway because we feel like there's nothing else we can do. But I think that um, we're getting a bit complacent. Like, we're going to have to actually really start thinking about, like, I don't know, just like email, like email lists or different platforms that we can use um, to get our stuff out there. But anyway, I think we're, we're already seeing kind of um, the beginnings of this increased security state with Silicon Valley playing a, a big role along with our government. Um, and that's pretty scary. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like we talked about this um not I think on our last episode Nicole was it the one before that where we talked about the whole state of emergency thing mm-hmm. I think it was the one before yeah yeah um but we did a whole episode on there so if you haven't heard that yet check it out but we talk a lot about that like how in state of emergencies or when there's some sort of crisis happening is like absolutely when they start taking more of our rights away um and they tell us it's like to protect us or for you know the greater good but those rights never come back you know it's like after 9-11 the patriot act passed and like you know our privacy was never like established again we all know that all those like tsa rules are like fucking bullshit but we like put up with it anyway because we get used to it and complacent Mm -hmm. exactly now is actually when we have to be paying attention to like oh what are they trying to put into place now that they will like still use later when the kind of immediate crisis has passed and do these things really even matter you know, are they actually going to help? Or are they really just like a front for wanting to like invade our privacy more? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not to be like uh, pessimistic, but it almost feels a bit too late to be kind of worrying about this now. Like we should have actually been building alternative platforms or building up, you know, uh, email distribution lists mm-hmm. that are outside of Silicon Valley long before this. But anyway, you know, here we are. <laughs> um, yeah. But you're right. I think that's definitely um, a, a big concern that we should all keep in mind. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of our, our organizing will have to make sure that um, they don't try to, you know, uh, I guess, claw back our rights in the name of security, mm-hmm. um, as I've done so many times before. Um Some other issues I think that uh, we could have is, I mean, I don't think Trump's going to be able to do this, um, but, you know, he's obviously trying to open the country back up by Easter, which would be an absolute disaster. Um, So I'm like, you know, scenario one or one possible scenario is that capitalism 
lives its way through this because basically the Trump administration or, you know, the capitalists decide that it's okay to sacrifice people for the good of the economy. And actually, hey, you know, if you're an old person, then maybe you should sacrifice yourself for the good of the quote unquote economy. And so many Americans don't know what the economy is. And they think that, you know, the stock market needs to be doing well for the whole society to be doing well. Like they don't understand that the stock market doing well does nothing for them. Um, so this is kind of like one apocalyptic scenario that I see that they just, they really normalize, normalize this idea of sacrificing yourself for the economy. Um, and then, you know, like Trump wins again and then he like sets up this like memorial for the people who bravely sacrificed themselves oh no (laughs) the victims of covid right well and he's been trying i mean part of um what he and these other you know right-wing politicians have been doing is referring to this as a war and then socializing the idea that you know in war there's sacrifice there are heroes Mm -hmm. there are people who put themselves and their lives on the line and Mm um you know this propaganda i mean there's even been politicians going on different media outlets saying like i am a grandfather and if i had to sacrifice my life to give my grandkids Mm -hmm. a better future i would do it i'm sure other people out there feel that way um (laughs) And then, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's like propaganda for the masses. But then there's also a lot of conservative people who are drumming up the, you know, the idea that especially now anyone who's a drain on the system essentially should die because now we have mm-hmm. fewer resources to go around. So yes. it's it's scary. And a lot of people are buying into it. And they're also buying into the propaganda that this isn't a real crisis, that it's been, you know, fear-mongering by the media, which is hilarious because we can't get our mainstream media to actually, like, report on this accurately, which if they did, it's actually a lot more scary than they're saying. Um, So, yeah, we just have a big swirl of things happening right now where I, I honestly could see Trump opening the country by Easter. I agree with you from what I'm hearing now. I don't think it's going to happen, but there's there's a lot of different layers of uh, kind of brainwashing, I guess, going on to make it seem like citizens dying for the economy is like a righteous wartime kind of thing to do. And just, I mean, fuck, we could spend hours deconstructing the layers <laughs> of that, right? <laughs> like, I know. It's... Yeah, but it's it is concerning and it does it does um obviously on the the national level it concerns me that he might be able to pull something like this off, but it also concerns me just on um how citizens start interacting with each other sort of level if we're starting to see yeah. each other as the enemy or as expendable, mm-hmm. you know, that's a whole mm-hmm. other layer of scary shit that could happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So another point that I have here that this relates is that, um, you know, there's the people are making comparisons between kind of like this moment and like, you know, the Nazis and the Weimar Republic and um, how they really, uh, you know, embraced kind of more like social social programs kind of thing, you know, kind of like leftist Economic, not really, but they embrace more social programs, but also with, you know, their highly, highly racialized politics and their, um, 
you know, their kind of eugenics uh, where they, they sacrificed, you know, or not sacrificed, they, they killed, like, disabled people first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, this whole idea that, you know, if you're compromised, then, yeah, it's okay for you to die, or, um, you know, some people are just going to be sacrificed for the good of the rest, like, the good of the nation um, is really concerning in that respect, because once you kind of accept that, then you can kind of it's kind of like a gateway to accepting like all kinds of other hierarchical notions of, you know, people, what people deserve, um, based on who they are. Um, but yeah, so, you know, part of that was just the fact that, you know, Trump and the Republicans seem to be proposing, uh, more help to working, like it's not enough Mm -hmm. help at all. Um, but whatever the Trump administration is proposing, the Democrats seem to be proposing, uh, you know, something half as good as that. <laughs> so Trump is proposing a thousand dollars. They're proposing 500, <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, there's a danger that Trump kind of cynically appropriates a lot of Bernie's more, uh, you know, populist economic policies and runs with those, but combined with this, you know, highly racialized politics um, and this increasing kind of, you know, a China, China did this to us. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously, (laughs) that's obviously terrible. And this is why, I mean, I'm sure I'm, we're going to be preaching to the choir here on this, but this is why those arguments about like vote blue, no matter who are so fucking frustrating because, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they act like these ineffective Democrats that they know, like these centrists that won't really stand for anything. They won't really do anything, but the voters argue with themselves that they won't do harm. And it's like, yeah, but now you have Republicans, like even Mitt Romney, arguing mm-hmm. that we should give more money than someone like Kamala Harris. You know, he's arguing $1,000, she's saying $500. And she's from mm-hmm. the state of California. Like, $500 doesn't get you anything here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and and there, yeah. that's why it's so dangerous to just keep thinking that we can keep moving to the center and that any blue is better than, you know, a Republican or any blue is better than Trump and it's like not necessarily I mean obviously Trump is doing horrible things right now but I don't know what are the Democrats really fucking offering they were about Mm -hmm. to let that um, stimulus package go through with the Republicans at the last minute trying to like fuck over the unemployment benefits which was like one of the only reasons to actually vote for that bill I mean it was it mm-hmm. doesn't go nearly far enough, but at least it had that in it. And then they wanted to, like, take that out. So it literally just would have been, like, a measly $1,200 cash payment and then corporate bailout money. Mm-hmm. So the Democrats are, like, we have to stop thinking that they are better than the Republicans. Mm-hmm. You know? If anything, yeah. they make people pay less attention and they get away with more. Yeah, honestly, between, uh, you know, Biden, Hyden Biden, Mm. and like their response to this whole COVID thing, um, I wonder how much longer the Democratic Party has, you know, to not to exist, like it'll still exist. But I feel like, uh, I don't know, I feel like it could be like destroyed in the next like several years. Um, Because, you know, if if they run, 
um, Biden, um, if they try and swap him out for Hillary or something and then lose again to Trump because Trump runs to the left of them economically, but like with right wing racial policy, you know, they're just going to be destroyed. Um, I don't even know. I, this is kind of like starting a whole nother conversation. <laughs> this is a whole can, this is a whole can of worms. Um, but I mean, thinking about the potential, <laughs> there is pot- perhaps potential in this moment because the Democrats are really, really exposing themselves. Yeah. Um, and so this could be a good opportunity to teach people about the fact that, you know, both of these parties are capitalist parties. Both of these parties are, mm-hmm. um, you know, for neoliberalism. They're, they're for upholding the market at the expense of human beings and you know, non-human beings as well. Um, and so I think this they could really be laying this bare for themselves, I guess. Um, showing their ass, as you might say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, Kelly and I go through that COVID relief bill on our half of this episode. We got into that before we jumped on with Mexi. Um, so anyone mm-hmm. who's interested, we kind of like really go through the details of that. But one of the things that I wanted to bring up as a, a massive uh, potential pitfall here is that um, for anyone who's not familiar, I highly recommend checking out Naomi Klein. And she has a book called Shock Doctrine, and she's done several videos and interviews all over the place. So if you don't want to read a whole book, um, there's a lot of content out there everything from like a seven minute video up to like an hour and a half um, talk. But she just talks about how times like these are when it's either an opportunity for the government to come in and really push, you know, right wing uh, capitalist gains on like authoritarian legislation on the citizens and get away with it. Or it's Mm -hmm. a, and it's a huge opportunity for citizens to really push things very far left and have a lot of power. Um, So one of my major concerns, and we're seeing this even with the COVID relief bill, is that the Republicans know what they're doing. So what they did with this bill is exactly like you said, Mexi, they ran to the left of Dems, right? Mm -hmm. So in the public, in the media, they're proposing things like $1,000 when the Dems are proposing $500, etc., then, like you said, uh, when they're in actual deliberations, they're actually pulling back and trying to strip that away from the most vulnerable people who need it the most. But the mm-hmm. media doesn't cover that part. What happens is they then blame it on the Democrats for uh, rejecting the bill. Mm-hmm. The Democrats cave because the, now they have all these people coming out of the woodwork to be like, oh, you choked and you don't care about us and you're not voting for things that we need right now. And instead mm-hmm. of forming a coalition of people, because there's a lot of populists on the right as well who don't like the provisions that were put in um, to, you know, for the corporate bailout. So instead of just organizing together and stopping the bill and being extremely public about it and saying, this is what this person's proposing and that's why I'm turning it down. This is what they're trying to do. This is what they're trying to sneak through and call on us to get involved Right. And reach out to our to our representation and say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to us? Just make it very public. What they've done is they've rushed this through. They didn't make the bill public uh, available for public review before they voted on it. And what happened was Mm -hmm. Democrats now feeling this pressure from angry citizens to get some kind of relief out allowed the Republicans to, um, 
you know, put this massive corporate bailout in there. It's $500 billion. Uh, <laughs> $75 billion is going to the airlines. And then the remaining $425 billion is can be leveraged by the Federal Reserve for 10 times uh, the lending fund. So it's really a $4.25 trillion bailout. Good Lord. And the only thing the Democrats got done with this that they pushed for and they conceded, you know, to get these paltry provisions for, for public aid, the, the only thing they were able to get done for this corporate bailout was to put extremely loose regulations around it it's supposed to be overseen by this general inspector and it's after the fact so there's there's some very loose uh, rules around what they can use it for in some time frames um and that's supposed to be overseen by this general inspector but that doesn't happen until after they've already spent the money so it's like it's basically nothing and that's what the democrats like gave away everything to just get that paltry provision in place. And then I read that when it got to Trump, he just said no. He's like, the president's <laughs> going to have the final say of how these funds are spent. I'm not going to let oh this God. this uh, oversight happen. So this is what <laughs> we're looking at here. And I, sorry, that was a lot of information. But it's, to me, that this is the biggest um, long-term concern I have because this bill essentially allows these huge, massive corporations and these extremely wealthy people to further consolidate power at the top. They are able yeah. to use these funds to buy businesses in distress and do mergers, which means, I mean, mm. what business isn't in distress right now? They're going to be able to go through and just wipe everyone out with money given to them by us. And yeah. we don't have public ownership of them. We don't have a voice on the board. We don't have, you know, they're using our money to do this. And yet we have no say in how they're governed or where the funds go. Um, mm -hmm. And this is what happened in 2008. And that's our economy. The, the working class never recovered from 2008 because of this. And this bill is actually larger than that one, that this bailout is larger. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's not sexy, right? It's not something that is easy to tweet about. Well, I mean, it's not impossible, but but people people are just so desperate right now for relief and to know that the government's doing something that I don't mm -hmm. know how much attention they're paying to these types of things and how seriously they're taking it and understanding mm -hmm. that we could have gotten a lot more without this mm -hmm. nasty corporate bailout attached to it if our representatives had had stood firm and had gotten mm -hmm. us involved in this process. And this is the time mm -hmm. for it. So for them to not do it now, it just makes me extremely concerned about everything going forward. I mean, our Congress mm -hmm. is on break for three weeks now. So this horrible, like nothing bailout that we got for the public is all we get for at least another three weeks. And who knows how long it'll take for them to come up with the next relief package after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and not not to, you know, keep going too far down this road of talking about the bill specifically, but like the day after it was like a done deal, United comes out and says that if the travel sales don't pick up, then like the day after there's like a six month um 
freeze i think Mm -hmm. on companies that are getting this money before they like can lay off their workers and they're basically like oh yeah we're gonna be laying off workers like the day after that freeze is over so like (sighs) in september as soon as this six month timer is up we're gonna be laying people off and it's like so they are taking our money and telling Mm -hmm. you they're gonna lay off people anyway Yeah, you know, the more the longer we talk about this, I guess um, the 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 damp dampener, the more damp my spirits get <laughs> about about um, the actual potential that like was supposed to be the topic of this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's true. I guess um, you know when I when this first kind of not when this first started but I guess like uh when I realized how serious this was going to be and how you know seeing so many people getting laid off and um you know seeing that the capitalist system was basically going to to come to a, a shutdown right um I really really thought you know can capitalism survive 18 fucking months of this right like can mm-hmm. it actually survive 18 months of this um without giving people like like without instituting uh, a rent freeze um and a, a freeze on you know debt payment and things like that um without giving people a ubi um you know could it actually survive or you know would all of these workers because you know most americans do not have savings they can't you know if, if a charge comes up for about 400 bucks they don't have the money to to do that um so how the hell are they going to be paying off their like forty thousand dollar debt uh to get the covid test or whatever to get treated for covid um so to me i was really like you know honestly can capitalism survive without giving these stimulus packages um and i guess my spirits are a bit dampened um looking at the ways in which you know the trump administration the trudeau administration here in canada um are choosing to deal with this um i'm just wondering you know you know maybe this is how they're trying to deal with this initially but like as things go on and people are unemployed for a longer amount of time and they can't actually pay their rent and they can't actually um you know when not to be crass but like when the bodies start piling up mm-hmm. um because like millions of people are are going to be killed in america mm-hmm. um due to this so like what how long can they last without i guess giving us these concessions i i don't think we i don't think we can last that's the thing i mean as a leftist i would love to see the people like rising up and just being like we're not paying rent we're not paying our bills like if we're not working then you're not able to extract money for debt from Mm -hmm. us um but i think we're just too our our indoctrination has just been too strong at this point i think like if trump were to be successful in reopening things uh whether it's by easter or even slightly after that which i i don't really see happening because at the same time that he's saying he wants us the country reopened by easter he's also talking about basically quarantining three states and it's like you Mm -hmm. can't basically impose martial law like you're shutting states off from the rest of the country because their outbreaks are so bad versus like expecting people to go back to work um but I really think it's just going to be a matter of people are going to be like, I literally don't have it. 
I, I, I'm hoping that that's where like the real solidarity and, and work comes from is we as leftists do the job now of being like, Hey, guess what? Landlords are unethical. And like, yeah. Hey, guess what? <laughs> like they keep telling you, you can't, we can't afford to have you have healthcare, but all of a sudden they just dumped like $4 trillion into the stock market. Like we can keep mm-hmm. putting these breadcrumbs out, but until people are like, I literally don't have a job and I cannot pay my rent. So sorry, you're just not getting it. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think capitalism can survive that. This is going to be even bigger than the Great Depression. And yeah, it's it's going to break, you know, one way or the other. Yeah, I don't think capitalism can survive this because it's a bit unique in the sense that even even if Trump was able to force us all to go back to work by Easter, right? <laughs> this is a pandemic like people are going yeah. to get sick. We're not going to be able to produce no matter Mm -hmm. what to the levels Mm -hmm. that we were before. And so there's just we're not going to be able to produce the wealth that we were. And then there's also, you know, the the lower class, the working class has even less financial resources than it did before for people to extract from us in that way. So I just don't Mm -hmm. see how. I just don't see how capitalism can survive this. Our country can continue on when we literally like one way or another, we just cannot have the workforce that we had. But I don't know like what's, I don't know how many millions are going to die. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know how they're going to respond to it even after the collapse happens. But my hope is that if they do let it get, that bad like they really continue to try to get through this without sufficient relief um that yeah citizens finally see it and understand that their very lives are being sacrificed for wealthy people to get even wealthier because people are getting richer from this right now yeah it's already been happening i mean people who play the stock market these people who are going to benefit from this bailout um, I have to hope citizens are going to see like we got billions, we got two trillion and they got like four point two five trillion. These corporations mm-hmm. who are actually fine, they can apply for business loans if they really need it. They have reserves. So there was no reason for them to get ba- bailed out right now. No yeah. reason. So I just, yeah. you know, I, I don't want it to get to that point. But at the same time, it's kind of like. I just feel like this is reality, right? This is late stage capitalism reality. And if if that's the point it gets to, I just have to hope that people in seeing people getting evicted and seeing their family members die are finally at the point to be like enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the longer that they delay an actual response that would get money into people's hands and cancel their debt and their mm-hmm. rent and everything like that, the longer they delay with that, the worse the oncoming depression is going to be, mm-hmm. right? The worse that is going to be. Because now, you know, it just in terms of economics, if you're putting all this money into the stock market, right? Like that's not the problem. The problem isn't production. Um, The problem is that like people, there's no effective demand. Money is not in people's hands. So there's no demand for whatever is being produced 
I mean, there is demand for what's being produced, but people, people can't afford it. Mm-hmm. It's like in the, the Great Depression where you had like, you know, bread lines and people who could not afford to eat, but you had all of this grain that was just rotting in the silos um, because production was not the problem. Like things were being produced, but nobody had the money in hand to, to buy it. And so, you know, you have this recession. That's what happens. That's over accumulation. That's one of the crises of capitalism. Um, and so... You know, I guess they're obviously not Marxists, so maybe they don't know the contradictions of capitalism, but it has to be fairly obvious. Um, And, you know, this is a really, really great, not great, but this is an important time, as you said, Kelly, for us to do that educational work Mm -hmm. um, to show people that, you know, this is not um, this is not sustainable. um, And, you know, we we could do something far different. so I actually had a, a pretty viral uh, tweet the other day. <laughs> it's got, yeah, it's currently got 16.1 thousand likes. Wow. Um, yeah. That is, job, um, that is quite viral. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know, I really hope that people are radicalized by this moment because it's proven that, um, so I use this term spook, money is a spook because like mm-hmm. leftists use that, but I just want to note somebody pointed out to me that that was actually a horrible racial slur um, that's used against black people. So all leftists, please do not use this term anymore. I had no idea. So I apologize for even including that. But what I meant was that money isn't real. Um, We can pull it out of thin air. Rent is parasitic. Everyone's needs can be taken care of. Uh, Most of our work is unessential. (laughs) It could be done from home or it could be done much slower than we're doing it. Um, And the environment will heal if we crush capitalism. Like this moment has proven all of these things, right? Um, So I think it's really on us to to make sure that we get this message out to people and and show them that like there could be another way, right? Yeah. and I've been inspired, you know, it's, I, I think, Callie, you're right that we are, we have been indoctrinated um, by this mindset. And a lot of people are probably feeling fairly helpless, especially because we're all trapped inside and we're not able to connect or organize. Um, but I have been really inspired by, you know, already there are so many different workforces that have been striking, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Domino's delivery workers, things like that. Like, they're all striking and saying like, this is not okay. We're not given adequate protection. We should be getting more like, you know, hazard pay for this. Um, And there's a lot of calls being made for general strikes because people are pointing out that like what's happening right now, it's kind of like a, um, you know, an unintentional general strike, right? Like this is what would happen if like all of these different workers just didn't show up to work. Capital would be brought to its knees. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of seeing right now, like this is what could happen if we actually did a general strike and like imagine we did it in an organized way and we had specific demands, right? Imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's also something that we need to to be kind of getting out to people to make them realize what moment we're in. Absolutely. I've been seeing a lot of really good um, media, like tweets and Facebook posts and comments that people are sharing that's trying to get people to see in like a succinct way, like just what you said, like look at we stop working and within a matter of days, the system is falling down on our heads. You know, Mm -hmm. like we've been told that capitalism is a 
only system that'll work and it's the best system it lifts people out of poverty and it's like we can see how fucking fragile it is it's it's really this house of cards um and also that wealth is generated at the bottom you know Mm -hmm. it's right now it's all the people that like are still working like essential jobs like grocery store workers and um healthcare workers and and delivery people and and mail carriers like it's all these people that don't have the luxury right of like working from home that are the only ones keeping our economy going Mm -hmm. and so we have to like see we have to encourage workers that have never heard stuff like this before that just have been told over and over like oh you're unimportant you're replaceable like you're just you know a small cog in this machine like no you're like you're what creates wealth and it's being like Mm -hmm. taken from you you know Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I think as leftists, the best thing we can do right now is just to keep trying to like spread this information um, as much as possible. Because I I do worry. I mean, I I've seen posts where people are like, oh, you know, if if Trump tries to reopen the country, then like workers have to not go in. And like, of course, I would love for that mm-hmm. to happen. But I also am really worried about like there's so many people that, as you said, Mexi, like what forty percent of the country can't afford a four hundred dollar emergency expense. Right. And like this episode is going out. It's going to be April 1st and people don't have fucking rent money. They don't have money for food. Mm -hmm. These twelve hundred dollar stimulus checks that got approved in the U.S. If you have direct deposit, you'll maybe get it within a month. So maybe you'll have it by May 1st. Um, But that's not going to cover rent. That's not going to cover your food. Um, And if you don't have direct deposit, it's going to be months. And we haven't seen the government step up and... um, you know, put a stop on on collecting rent. So I just think there's going to be workers that are going to be forced into it, which is unfortunately going to cause the pandemic to be worse and people to get sick. And we just have to try to mm-hmm. like be there and show our solidarity and try to like be continuing to reach people, you know, and not like put the blame on them when they're not going to have a whole lot of choice in this. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity too for. Um... <sighs> I like what you were saying, Mexi, because I think this situation is pretty unique in that it's it's sort of forcing people to see that these things do work without us having mm-hmm. to do them intentionally, right? Like, we can now see how powerful workers are because we can't go to work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so without us having to take the risk of that, I think just seeing that much power... And I guess it's still working within a capitalist framework, but I think that there's um, a, a good opportunity here to educate people about what like an actually free or fair market could be, not that that really exists, but where bailouts targeting the lower class, the working class, allow the working class to then decide what companies stay in business, who they want to support locally, Right. Mm -hmm. It gives that it gives that ability and like UBI, but also like stopping payments, canceling debt um, gives the power back to citizens to choose what industries they want to support instead of that choice being made by the government and consolidating power at the top. And it's something that, you know, again, it's people talk about it, but people who don't follow politics don't really like think about this kind of thing at all. And so I think it's mm-hmm. a it's a good opportunity to, to point that out to them. Like, 
hey, we supposedly mm-hmm. live in this free market, but you aren't choosing what businesses in your neighborhood stay open, but the government's mm-hmm. giving these giant corporations all the money they need to stay afloat. Like, do you think that's fair? Don't you think if they paid us, then we can choose and we can pick the businesses that stay active, right? We we mm-hmm. redistribute the wealth in the way that we see fit. And I think that that could be really powerful for people to like understand that because they think we're so, at least in the U.S., we're so indoctrinated to think like the government's just got to swoop in and make the decisions for us. Um, Mm -hmm. But like now looking around, people are now seeing neighborhood places that they love close down. And I Mm -hmm. think to draw that connection of like you, if the government gave you the money, you would have the power to keep that business open. And the government could yeah. also support that that business generally. But, like, you could mm-hmm. choose to, to keep your community healthy. But they're not mm-hmm. doing that. They're keeping all the money at the top, and they're deciding where it goes. Yeah. And they could clearly just make up whatever money they want. And yep. just, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that's clearly something that could happen. And the very fact that they could just be like, okay, we're freezing rent, we're freezing mortgages, you know, they're frozen. Um I, I just hope people walk away from this being like, you know, yeah, housing is a human right. People should not be evicted mm-hmm. because they aren't able to pay rent for whatever reason, right? Like, let's say you get, let's say we're not in a pandemic and you get laid off and now you can't pay your rent, but like you're looking for work, you're like you're doing, you know what I mean? Um, you should not lose your fucking home because of that. And I hope people are start realizing that, that, you know, even outside of this pandemic, right? Before this pandemic happened, there were still so many people who were housing insecure, who were food insecure, um, and all of the rest of this stuff, right? Like the pandemic is just making this um, come into relief for people because it's a lot of people who are not used to being insecure are suddenly feeling that insecurity and then realizing like oh this is unjust oh it's unjust to pay rent and to to be evicted from your home um, because you can't pay for whatever reason right Mm -hmm. Um, so people are being kind of forced to have these experiences that they otherwise wouldn't have like these are the experiences that the marginalized people have all the time Um, and I just hope that this kind of wakes people up to these ideas that you know these things are rights and the government can provide them for us and we all don't have to work right like a lot of our jobs like i said are not essential and frankly a lot of jobs are just absolute bullshit in fact they're predatory yeah you know they're they're predatory and harmful um so and and you know the longer this goes on i think we're also going to see like the co2 in the atmosphere dropping right we're going to see the levels go down um and it's not because of some ridiculous like eco-fascist kind of talking point that like oh it's because there's fewer people and that's why um the pollution Mm -hmm. is going down no it's because capitalism has been ground to a halt it's because our production and consumption machine has been ground to a halt it's because our tourism and all these international flights flying back and forth everywhere all the time have been ground to a halt um and i don't know you know like after 18 months of this if we see that this has actually done wonders for reducing our carbon output um then that's something that then environmentalists can latch on to right and then that can make it that much more obvious for people that like you know hey we have to focus on 
degrowth and a different system and not this this rat race not this production and consumption um because this is obviously the answer you know it's obviously the answer not only for the planet but for the people and i just hope that as this goes on that becomes more and more obvious to people as they're kind of brought into having these experiences that they otherwise wouldn't have right yeah it's um it this reminds me a lot of the healthcare debate that we have in the u.s you know people that kind of like the idea of a Medicare for all system, but think we can't afford it, you know, because they're only used to like the levels that we operate at now and they see how expensive Mm -hmm. everything is and they can't imagine like, you know, socializing those costs across everyone and then increasing them because more people are going to have, you know, be able to like see doctors like horror upon horror and like actually get benefits (laughs) and that's going to cost us even more. And, you know, they don't see how much waste is inherent in in that system and how we're paying so much more than we should. And that mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of like the job market and how when I try to talk to people about like, you know, we really don't need to be working more than like three or four hours a day and all the things mm-hmm. that we need to like run a successful society or, you know, local community. Um, it wouldn't take that many hours. It wouldn't take that much like collective labor in order to make it happen. And then we would have like leisure time and people mm-hmm. can't fathom it, but it's like so many of our jobs and industries are like literally unnecessary. Like they just mm-hmm. would not need to exist. And so mm-hmm. that's how you can like make these things work. Right. Cause there's just like so much waste baked into capitalism that people don't, don't see. You know, Mm -hmm. like I I even keep having this weird thought, which is like I used to work at a grocery store. It was actually my my first job. And I was like, I would I would totally like go work at a grocery store right now to like help out. You know what I mean? But I'm like, but also I don't want to work for some fucking corporation. (laughs) Like, it's not like I want to be like, oh, I really want to work for like fucking Ralph's or whatever, you know? And have them mm-hmm. rip me off and like pay me. But I'm like, oh, as a community member, as someone who like has experience, like I would totally do that if it were a different kind of setting. But it's like, that's not how jobs mm-hmm. work. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just all these these weird, um, weird ways we like put up barriers and we, we make it impossible to like give people time off. And we, we, sh- we make them think that we are like already at our brinking point so they can't imagine not operating at the level we are now and it's like it's all bullshit Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not Mm -hmm. real (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and even that you mentioned like the rent freezes like i don't understand so in california gavin newsom our our governor um announced that like several of the top banks i think everyone except bank of america was doing like a 90 day basically Uh, like freeze where mortgages like aren't due like they you don't have to pay if you're hit with um you know having issues because of the pandemic we're in i think Mm -hmm. bank of america was only like one month because like fuck them they're the worst but it's like okay (laughs) and then so i got a letter the other day from my landlord that's like hey you know we're in this like global pandemic and here's what the local like san diego law is about like collecting rent and like basically they're they're stalling evictions but they're not like calling for people to not have to pay rent and so it's like wait so Mm -hmm. 
do you not have to pay your mortgage, but I still have to pay rent unless I can prove right. that I'm out of the job? Because if you don't have to pay your mortgages, um, yeah. and the banks, the mortgage companies could easily be like, there's no reason why we have to collect it right now, especially with a loan, because mm-hmm. you just like tack it on to the end, right? It really doesn't make mm-hmm. much of a difference. So why are they even collecting rent at all? Mm-hmm. So a halt yeah. on evictions is nice, but it's it's like not even close to far enough as no. what they should be doing. And, and again, they're they're means testing it. They're making people somehow prove that they can't pay just because of the coronavirus, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think in terms of potential, um, one of the things that has been illuminating for me is to see that I think there is very real potential here to teach people about why extracting rent from others is so just wrong. Um, (laughs) I was like, what's the word I want? Um, Because, you know, especially in the U.S., it's extremely normalized that people who have the capital buy property and then charge other people rent for that property. And that's seen as like a very normal thing. And, you know, there's a lot of people who I don't think are bad people who uh, are landlords um, because they think this is like what you do, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you have the wealth, if you have the capital... And I think it's just a good time to dismantle that whole system and also the Mm -hmm. idea of like the consolidation of wealth and what that actually means, because a lot of people don't think of themselves as having wealth. Mm -hmm. But if you Mm -hmm. have a 401k, you do have access, like you have wealth that other people don't. If you own property, you have Mm -hmm. consolidated wealth that other people don't. Um, and I think it's a it's a very good opportunity to talk about that. You know, I've seen more and more on social media people posting about rent strikes and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And then you have people coming on to be like, well, what if that's where your income comes from is rentals? And people are like, I hear the grocery stores mm-hmm. are hiring. Like, get a fucking job. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah. It's so bizarre that that's seen as a job. I know, but mm -hmm. isn't it something that you don't even think about? It's so normalized that it just feels, you know, people say that like, oh, yeah, I have some I have some savings. Like if you have a financial advisor or, you know, people in your family, like they will tell you that that's a responsible thing to do is to invest in property. Mm -hmm. And so I think Mm -hmm. that this is just an amazing time to dismantle that. And, you know, I think as the I think as the pain of all of this increases the fact that you know in the US i heard a number i haven't been able, i haven't verified it yet but i heard we have like seven empty homes for like every homeless person um mm-hmm. and or like spaces to live and i and i do believe it because the airbnb thing has gotten so extreme here i mean you have corporations mm-hmm. that just own properties with multiple units and they keep them empty half the time because they would rather get more pay from someone on vacation than like have that be affordable housing for someone full time. So I just feel like as mm-hmm. as the pressure of this continues to build, things like that, I hope are going to open people's eyes to how fucked up the system is and how things like renting is not actually an okay practice the way that we think that it mm-hmm. is. 
Yeah, Thought Slime did a really great video on this mm-hmm. uh, the other day, so check that out. But yeah, I mean, there's been so much on social media, like leftists coming out of the woodwork to defend landlords, yeah. <laughs> or like some really, really weird discourse going around uh, around that. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like this is uh, a time that hopefully all of that will be really put into uh, yeah relief or into focus. Um, as well as just this idea of housing being an investment in general um, and how, you know, as, you know, part of this private market, um, housing prices have gotten so ridiculous that people are paying, you know, two thirds of their income just to housing, right? Mm. And that's not sustainable, right? That's not sustainable for anybody. Um, And it's a big change from, you know, a few generations ago. Um, So I just hope that this puts all of that into into question, right? Like housing should be a right. It shouldn't be an investment. It shouldn't be something that only people with massive amounts of capital can attain. And then the rest of us then have to pay our rent to them, which is just further enriching them, right? Like what Mm -hmm. a system. Well, and Um, the funny thing is, is I saw something online the other day where they were like, like owning property and being a landlord if you want to call it an investment it's seen as somehow the only investment kind of opportunity where you don't expect to lose money or have a month Mm. where you like take a hit which the minute I read that I was like oh my god like that's so true right like all these landlords Mm. right now that are like oh my god like my tenants aren't gonna be able to pay me and it's like yeah people aren't working right now like they can't pay you with what they don't have and just like if you invest in the stock market you know that every once in a while like you're gonna fucking lose your shirt you know like Mm -hmm. it's the same if you're gonna treat owning property um as an investment then you can't expect to like never have to like put your ass on the line you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like reach into your pocket and use some of that money that like that wealth that you've been extracting from us to like cover yourselves. Mm -hmm. It's just so weird that they're like, oh, I can't imagine if they don't get to live here, if they don't, you know, pay me. And it's like, what are you Mm -hmm. if it's an investment, then you have to accept, you know, there's some Mm -hmm. risk to it. And they think there's like no risk. Right. It's like you could just sell the house. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And just cash in. Or there's all yeah. kinds of things that they could do. You know what I mean? Like they could mm-hmm. pull out equity. They could like r- contact their mortgage companies and ask for like loan extensions. I mean, there's so many mm-hmm. ways in which like they could be um, making this mm-hmm. work. But they just think that like because we're not taught that housing is a right, it's like this privilege it's like if you're gonna live in my unit you're gonna pay no matter what and it's like mm-hmm. dude the world's ending yeah. no one has any money right now where am i supposed to get it from <laughs> yeah like, yeah look open your eyes and look around you yeah come in and take me out like right. come on <laughs> like, where are you gonna get it from like there's people yeah. are not working right now mm-hmm Yeah. So I know a lot of people are organizing like rent strikes in their building. And I know friends who have done that. And, um, you know, hopefully it'll go over well. Um, I guess we'll find out when the day that this is released, actually. Um, So, you know, if that's available to you, then, you know, it's something to think about. Um, But I think we also have to, you know, Brett from Rev Left Radio made a good point that like a lot of people on social media are just calling, you know, general strike, rent strike and, and whatever, and just kind of putting that out there, but, you know, not 
obviously they're they're not i mean maybe they are in their own communities but like just throwing that out there um you know you're not actually doing the work of organizing people um and getting them ready to to do that and making sure that they're protected from a lot of the dangers that they would face from doing that right like if you're just someone who goes online and you read like oh rent strike april 1st and then you just don't pay your rent um but you know no one else in your building didn't pay their rent right then like you're in trouble now right like you're Mm -hmm. facing eviction um so like people are could be in real danger from a lot of these things so we have to be like responsible about that um but i guess you know maybe to kind of leave off the conversation which was awesome i actually like i wish we could just continue this forever but um you know to leave off maybe um we could think about leaving people with you know what are some things that you can do right now or like as a leftist like how can we think about um this moment and um how we can insert ourselves like both in the discourse maybe in organizing um really just any any thoughts along those lines I'm really glad you brought this up. It was a point I wanted to make sure we hit on during this episode is um, to make sure to like do some research online. You know, if you're someone who is interested in participating in a rent strike or if you're someone whose company is maybe considering bringing you back um, to like make sure to connect with other people and do things as a group. You know, there's lots of advocacy groups out there that will help um, that are helping tenants organize right now that are helping workers organize right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I love the rebellious spirit of just like on your own telling your landlord or boss to like go fuck (laughs) themselves. Um, But realistically, um, that's kind of a fast track into having you out in the cold. So I know American Johnson Non-Compete has been posting uh, the link to website talking Mm -hmm. a lot about organizing for a general strike. Um, Mm -hmm. So definitely look into that and find resources and start connecting with others before you consider, you know, moving forward. And it may take us a little bit of time to actually like get ready for a full general strike. But um, make Mm -hmm. sure you do things in in solidarity and that there's conversations within that group of like, how are we going to take care of people when this shit starts to hit the fan? Because it definitely Mm -hmm. will. (laughs) And we Mm want to make sure especially... um, you know the most vulnerable of our comrades among us are definitely like taken care of that we don't leave people to just kind of be further victimized by the system mm-hmm. yeah and i would say uh for me one of the hopeful things that has come out of this is that i do see people connecting with each other and there seems to be a real hunger to learn uh more and mm-hmm. to potentially get involved as Callie's talking about in something that's organized um so i would just say for people you know read watch videos listen to podcasts whatever's accessible to you uh if you don't know you know follow people on twitter i think listening to this show listening to our show is a good start because we always refer to other people um and if you're someone who does know these things really well you're highly educated in socialism and resistance tactics then see if there's ways that you can do outreach to other people who don't. So for instance, with our podcast, you know, we just started a discord server and I'm hosting a book club and uh, we found on Haymarket books, there's a lot of different uh, distributor publishers who are giving books away for free right now, but Haymarket books right now is giving away 10 books 
that are all very much like socialism, resistance, anti-capitalism kind of oriented. So I downloaded those and, you know, we're using these free books to do book clubs to learn more about socialism for people who like this is a completely new world to them and they're open Mm -hmm. and they're wanting to learn, but they're also very intimidated. Um, I've just found book clubs are an incredibly powerful form of resistance, I think. I've seen them really radicalize people and do a lot to build community. Callie's laughing because she was one of the people I radicalized at the book club. (laughs) True story. Yep. Um, So I, I just think, you know, any, the opportunity is very, very, not just, um, available to us right now, but also critically important that we educate others and that we make that education accessible and that within that education, we are building community and bonds and ties to each other. And not just, you know, I know as Mm -hmm. leftists, we get, obviously we're just pissed off all the time because we see how things work (laughs) and what's happening. Um, so, you know, I've, I've noticed, I follow a lot of people where sometimes they're, it's almost like they're speaking in code and I don't know what they're talking about and, or they're just angry and like saying things in a way where if you don't have that education, you don't even necessarily know what they're talking about, or it might sound really extreme and ridiculous. And I'm not, you know, people do what you got to do right now. It's rough times, but if you just have the capacity Mm -hmm. to form community around education, I've always found that to be incredibly powerful and effective. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important. Um, I think also, yeah, just talking with everyone, right? I mean, there's that meme of that, like, tuba, that woman holding this tuba, and then, like, the tuba's, like, (laughs) just surrounding the face of this other person, and it's, like, me to everybody I know. Capitalism fucking did this. Um, I am using this opportunity, honestly, to talk to everyone about how capitalism fucking did this. Um, Same. And then I think also think about, like, think about your community. Think about ways you could potentially show up in your community um, and help people, right? Like, think about people around you that potentially might need help getting groceries, right? People who are immunocompromised. Um, Maybe you can organize, uh, you know, different people in your community to go out and and help people get the the material things that they need, right? Um, You know, if you are healthy and able to go out and do that. Um, I think Nicole, you actually talked a a bit about what you were doing in terms of, um, you know, thinking about all of the people that you usually frequent in terms of, Mm. you know, people that you usually go and pay for things, um, like your hairdresser or whatever, and you can't go see them. And maybe it's like a small mom and pop hairdresser store, um, and they're not going to be able to weather this, right? So you can, if you have the means, you can, you know, call them up and say, let me buy gift certificates or let me pay a a few, um, services in advance um, so that you have some of the capital that you need to get through this, right? So um, whatever means that you have, I think whatever is at your disposal, you can think about, you know, your own community and and ways that you can show up that way. I know that, um, you know, some of my friends are organizing um, just a small group of people who are available to go out and, you know, yeah, go grocery shopping or go pick up, you know, medication for different people, like elderly people, if they need it. Um, so if that's available to you, it's really, really powerful to to do that and show up in your community and, and to build those bonds um, and to build those networks of care. Um, of course, you know, some of us, <laughs> Some of us have shingles and we are self-isolating hard, right? So for people like that, I think, um, 
you know, yeah, propaganda is always free and always important. <laughs> Love it. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, one, one more thing I'll say is that if you are someone who's thinking about you know, striking or organizing a strike or organizing the workers in your uh, company or whatever to resist either going back to work or, you know, you're wanting to strike for better conditions, better treatment, etc. Um, you can always reach out to the IWW. They have a lot of resources that can help you kind of go along that path. And, um, you know, part of the I guess, hopeful potential uh, of this moment is that I learned that, you know, in the past month, the IWW has been getting an influx of just, you know, the most requests they've, they've ever had of people wanting to unionize, people wanting to organize strikes and things like that. So that's really exciting, <laughs> I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I guess, yeah, think about, think about community, think about organizing your workplace, think about organizing your building for a rent strike if that's available to you. Um, and otherwise, just tell everyone about what's going on because shit is fucked um shit is getting it's getting really obvious how fucked it is um so yeah i think that's a good place to wrap up the conversation i've had so much fun in the previous two the previous two conversations that we've had um so i guess uh do you guys want to maybe just shout out where people can find you and your work We'll, we'll definitely put this all in the show notes but just so people hear it from you yeah, so we have a Instagram and Twitter. We're very active on both, especially Twitter. Um, it's a good place to, you know, we link to a lot of resources and things there. So both are bitchy underscore shit show. <laughs> you can find us <laughs> there. And um, then our website is bitchyshitshow.com. And the podcast is called Bitchy Shit Show. So what, whatever platform you use to stream podcasts, we're on there. Awesome. And I just want to also say that like Vegan Vanguard has a Twitter and a Facebook. And I know that um, I kind of started the Vegan Vanguard Twitter late and I haven't really advertised it very much. I don't think I've even even mentioned on the show that we have a Twitter. So (laughs) follow us on Twitter and Facebook and also follow the Bitchy Shit Show and consider contributing to them on Patreon. Um, So thank you both for coming on the show. This was absolutely awesome and looking forward to, to future collaborations that we we'll surely do together oh absolutely (laughs) yeah this is great thank you mexi and thank you everyone listening and you know let's get through this together absolutely so thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next time (laughs) 